Justin is just about to join. Had to restart his phone. Thanks everyone for joining. Hi, hey, glad to be here. Thanks, sir. How are you? Grateful and uh, happy new year, everyone. Happy new year. True. Let's go. Let's get the speaker started. Welcome, Casper. Welcome, Clem. Yeah, here. Clem's here. Okay. Let's <laughs> see, Justin. Justin, you've got uh, Charles from um, BTCS here. Uh, thrill thrilled to be uh, on. Perfect. Welcome. So well, let, let, let's start while we wait for Justin. Hello, everyone. Uh, please, all the speakers, do not hesitate on unmute yourself and just like dive in. This is an open conversation. Um, let's start on, on like the late late uh, news on the space. What what are what are you looking at, guys? What what are your your main concerns? How do you see the industry lately? Now now that a few days have passed from all the FTX drama, and, and we can take like a, like a a look at, at all from from a, a bit of distance. You know, what what are your insights? Well, I'm not sure the um, the 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 drama's over. The uh, sort of contagion um, uh, still continues with uh, you know Gemini and DCG and and Grayscale and um, you know these uh, Genesis. These the, the, this hasn't um, all come to an end just yet. And then obviously you still have potential exchanges that are, you know, continue to be insolvent that we may not know about. Uh, you have funds and fund performance and, and, and redemptions and things still coming. I don't think that it's um, I don't think that it's over yet. Yep. I think we've probably seen the worst of it and the market is priced in at least all of probably what it knows. But um, uh, uh, there's still potential fallout here. Yep. And then you have to take into consideration the, the sort of regulatory conversations that have been heightened as a result of, call it fraud. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I would totally agree. Just with to clarify, I, I, I meant not, it was not over. Like, of course, it's still unfolding. I meant like the, this is like the tail effects and all the, the things that came after the, the event, right? Just just to clarify, of course, it's not over on it. And, um, well, Justin, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Hi, so, hi Jose. Sorry, the uh, Twitter made me uh, restart my phone and update everything before I came on. Uh, thanks for starting us up, though. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Good, good to see you all today. Thanks for coming out to talk to us about Bitcoin's future and I guess the future of crypto in uh, in uh, 2023. Happy New Year. Happy um, New Year, Justin. Happy New so, Year. So uh, we, we have a great panel today. There's lots of you, so I, I look forward to hearing from all of you. And, and thanks so much for being able to join us today, Brock. Um, you know, are we looking at the knock-on impact of... Uh, 
you know, like right now, Bitcoin is roughly a third of where it was a year ago today. Is this the impact of inflation? What are we looking at first and foremost that that's taking the air out of out of Bitcoin and crypto overall? Clem, let's go. Let's go ahead and take that over to you. Well, I mean, I, I think it went too high in the first place. I mean, I think the Afghanistan situation was responsible for the move from 40 to 60. And, you know, that went away. And then you went back into the standard Bitcoin cycle crash. And it's not yet over, as we're seeing with what's um, happened with FTX. And there will be an aftermath of that, which we'll probably see a one or two more legs down. And then, you know, when everybody's lying in a pool of blood and saying it's all finished, this crypto's over, then it'll be the bottom and it'll repeat the cycle again. All right. Excellent. Um, you know, uh, let, let's take that same question to uh, what, what about what about you uh, uh, from uh, from BTCS? Uh, hi, uh, Charles. Uh, yep. Good. Good to meet you. Good to meet you as well, Justin Brock. Good, good to uh, hear your voice again and connect with you. It's been it's been some time. Um, yeah, I, look, I think the you know one of the things that happened with this last cycle when it went you know when Bitcoin went up as high as you know almost sixty thousand is there's a lot of institutional money that came into the market and that in previous cycles uh, wasn't as apparent, right? If you'd been in you know as long as I have twenty you know fourteen year or twenty thirteen, Brock, I believe you've been in longer and some of the other uh, people as well. You know that was different, right? And so with institutions you get more of an alignment or correlation with the general stock market bitcoin and other cryptos become more of a risk on asset versus risk you know so it's risk on risk off and with that money flow we've seen kind of the uh you know bitcoin and, and other cryptos come down with institutions coming out and F, you know th that would have been the case either way just with inflation the economy world events and then you add ftx you know, three arrows, et cetera. Um, and it's just been, you know, abysmal, right? Uh, and, and I agree with Brock completely on the, um, you know, the, the next big uh, question mark is Genesis and Gemini. I'm a little optimistic there, um, you know, that they'll come to some sort of a resolution, but that could be a huge, you know, negative leg to fall if that doesn't get resolved in a way that could look, you know, that would be looked on positively within the industry. No, is is it fair to say that it, that it did in fact climb too high? I've I've heard uh, such a sentiment as as Clem expressed uh, said before, but uh, you know, like what's curious about the situation, Charles, Clem, everybody else that, that we're addressing here, is that um, at the same time, some institutional dollars may have left, but um, traditional finance has only gotten deeper into. Uh, into crypto, uh, I think it was it Merrill Lynch that started incorporating crypto or Bitcoin as an option with four hundred one k accounts. For ex for example, um, you're reaching potentially another like twenty million dollars. Um, let, let's go ahead and take that over to uh, a Tadris. I want to give uh, give you an opportunity to speak as well. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, it seems like there's still a lot of institutional involvement during this year. Are we just running into a situation where essentially it's going to survive, but it's no longer going to uh, to belong to the people? Uh, Mina, that that that's who, that's what I'm addressing there, Tadris. Um, it, is, it, is it a matter of is the little guy going to get forced out in favor of uh, traditional finance, just kind of owning everything? Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'll, I'll play a little bit of a devil's advocate. Uh, if we look at the monthly chart on, on crypto, it looks like there could potentially 
be a reversal. Uh, looking at the monthly chart, the support level seems to be rising a little bit. With that being said, I still think there could be a potential more uh, uh, bearish uh, downroom, uh, perhaps until 35K, uh, excuse me, 3,500. Um, that's the first point. Um, so I think there is room to go down, but ultimately there is a possibility that it might start rever reversing uh, uh, back up. With that being said, um, just late last night, I was on LinkedIn and I uh, came across a post from a colleague and he said that Kramer is recommending that we short crypto. So I hate to say this, but based on that alone, I want to go long crypto. Uh, so, so I think there's a lot of things that could start happening. AI could potentially be integrated with crypto down the line. I'm sure a bunch of firms are already starting to do that. Uh, Goldman Sachs has started looking into buying uh, uh, crypto firms. So while the right answer is we don't really know what's going to happen, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to suggest that there could be a reversal. A reversal is in, do you think it was overvalued uh, as sitting at like, what did it get up to 50, uh, rough, roughly 50,000? Do you think, do you think that was up too high in the first place? Certainly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's hype, hyping and uh, fear and greed, right? So uh, I think it was overhyped. Now it's starting to be a bit more stable. There could be another hype or it could stabilize a little bit more. Um, uh, of course, I, I always like to play devil's advocate, even with my arguments, um, uh, more than a thousand people, approximately less than a thousand people, uh, have owned 50, more than 50% of crypto. So there could be some challenges, you know, for anyone who is buying. So are people going, uh, you know, are we going, have we lost too much faith during this time? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and take that to you, Mario. Um, you know, are, are we, uh, Mario, uh, Gurdier, uh, uh, sorry, I'm, how do, I, I, the, the advisory, yeah, right, for energy funders, That's right. Um, you know, are, are we, are, have we kind of blown it too much in terms of the PR battle, in terms of having these spectacular, extensively covered failures like Sam Bankman Freed and his, uh, allegedly fraudulent case with, with F FTX and so forth, looking rather bad for Sam right now. Um, you know, those kinds of things leave an impression, especially on our, on our detractors. And in 2022, we're still talking about, you know, mainstreaming and so forth and bringing people in. Uh, do you think we've turned buyers away uh, permanently with some of this bullshit? It's, it's definitely harder now than it was 12 mon uh, months ago. I spent a lot of my time uh, talking to the energy industry and, and particularly its integration with Bitcoin mining. And you know, before FTX, even with Bitcoin, you know, going that in, you know, down into the twenties, um, people still understood that it was cyclical. That you know, understood kind of the dynamics and the economics behind mining. And now, a lot of the conversations that I end up in are trying to explain what happened with FTX, and then eventually getting to that conversation. So, overall, the trend of interest um, from you know, particularly Texas and the energy industry and kind of large infrastructure projects are interested. It's just those stakeholders don't really understand what's happening with FTX, and that's kind of the main noise. So it's definitely tougher. Um, you know, conversations that you know would last uh, a week or a month to to kind of mature towards a decision point are now you know being delayed, or you know might just not never happen. So it's definitely tougher. Uh huh. There's actually a lot of interesting things happening, specifically in the uh, in the energy industry as well, which might be worth talking about. But we'll we'll circle back around to that. But because I want to live up to my headline here, you know, my, my my good friend Tim Draper. I've been talking to him about. He's been making his Bitcoin price predictions for about ten years. I've been talking to him him about them a couple of times a year. 
for the past four years or so, and he finally did adjust the the uh, originally he was saying two hundred and fifty thousand dollar Bitcoin by the end of um, twenty twenty two to the beginning of twenty twenty three, which he adjusted to being you know just during maybe midway through twenty twenty three. Is there anyone among the respondents right now? Who are of that mind? Because I can explain what his thinking is behind it, but it, it, or is is everyone opposed to that notion, or who's who's uh, got laser eyes holding out for two hundred and fifty this year? Well, if you prepare to hang on for ten years, you'll get your two fifty, but not in ten months. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay, I see what I, you mean. Way, That's I, true. I, I'll take the under on that because I think one of the other points that hasn't been, I think, adequately addressed is the erosion of trust within right. call it the mainstream, right? right? That are not, you know, deep within the understanding that this is meant to be a trustless system. And it's, I think also important to note that this is not a failing of cryptocurrency or blockchain technology uh, or decentralized finance. This is a failing of centralized finance. Fraud is fraud is fraud. And part of what also drove the prices up to over $60,000 was the use of leverage, you know, the, the trading strategies that Three Arrows and Alameda were using were not sophisticated. It was just leverage. How much leverage can you put on something to extract yield, which is not sophisticated, um, not very advanced and dangerous. And, and ultimately, we're seeing how a lot of leverage came into the system, which obviously drove things much higher. And then the fallout of what happens when an industry doesn't matter what it is. Uh, uh, uses too much leverage, and then there's a market correction. You see the implosions, the domino effects, effectively that we've had. But the impact on trust, you know, within the general public, uh, uh, is is going to take some time. Um, and I think that the the answer is ultimately decentralized finance. Yes, or centralized financial actors like the big financial institutions that you're talking about, where they have some problems, but at least they have governance. They've got risk management and enough experience in, in managing through these types of stuff, these things. And so it's um, uh, this is a failing of uh, centralized finance startups that don't have adequate experience, uh, risk management systems or even appropriate governance, uh, uh, taking too much risk and, and not adequately um, uh, uh, managing that, and then also the counterparty risk that comes with it. As one one entity implodes, everyone was basically lending to each other. And I think this is going to take a while uh, uh, for us to recover. I don't think this is going to be uh, uh, to be quick. I mean, the 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 media sentiment is yet again we're in another one of these cycles, and it takes you know some catalyst, you know, some sort of event that is going to. Um, I think reinvigorate the market and I think it has to come back with with tools that prevent these types of issues from happening again right you know let me follow up on that Brock because I I know that you uh have had the experience of I believe you you set up a, a, a bank in Puerto Rico if I'm not mistaken on your your resume is is super long but I believe that that is on there um you know, within traditional banking, reinvesting the funds that are um, that you're custodying is not. I mean, is is kind of standard practice. Like what what FTX and Alameda didn't have, aside from doing a bit of perhaps lying, is, is they they didn't have any any guardrails uh, meant to pr protect the uh, the the investor. 
is is this a matter of people getting into investing by way of or getting into uh, finance by way of crypto and not understanding some of the traditional pitfalls of, of crypto? Yes. So, um, well, first of all, that's what happened here is these were exchanges where, you know, in theory, we're meant to go to exchange, you know, fiat for crypto or crypto for another crypto. And as you've always heard the old adage of not your keys, not your coins, people started to use these exchanges, these marketplaces for trade as places to store um, their cryptocurrency and, and starting to treat these entities as if they were banking type institutions. And naturally, as you had these massive amounts of deposits sitting in these places, they started to take advantage of that acting as if they're banks, but they're not banks and they're not regulated as banks, nor do they have the uh, the, the corporate controls in place to even do those things correctly. Uh, and that's a, a big part of what happened. And that's where, you know, most of us as users should know better. Uh, uh, um, and so uh, uh, definitely that is, a, is, is what happened here. And yes, I've, I've been involved uh, uh, in starting two banks in, in Puerto Rico. Um, and yes, the banking business is um, uh, deposits and, and, and lending those things out. Um, uh, but when you're lending it, there's, you're, you're, you're not lending it, um, uh, to an affiliated entity in the case of, you know, call it, uh, Alameda and FTX and lend, I mean, it very, very, uh, uh, banking institutions don't lend out customer deposits, uh, for the types of activities and with the, uh, amount of risk that an Alameda was, for example, or an FTX was, uh, 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 that sort of thing would never happen to this degree or like that in uh, unless in they're Russian. Unless they're Russian, uh, Brock, uh, Brock maybe accidentally be making a uh, an impassioned case for uh, for greater regulation in the U.S. Is that where you mean to go? Um, well, I mean, certainly around <laughs> centralized finance, right? If you're going to be a centralized entity uh, providing you know these types of products or services. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a problem with most of these centralized financial sort of institutions. I'm an advocate for DeFi, um, uh, but bad actors, you know, fraud is still fraud. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, something that might actually be beneficial. I don't think it's going to happen with the Republicans now having uh, taken over the House. I think we're, there's going to be a, not a, there's not a lot of legislation that's going to get passed over the next two years. Um, but the, the question is, what do you do with the centralized financial actors and uh, uh, organizations taking this sort of risk with customer funds, deposits, in violation of their own terms of service. I mean, uh, um, yeah, there's going to be actions taken against institutions that are um, operating inappropriately. Um, uh, and so uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation as to, to what happens here. Uh, and clearly this type of these outcomes, these events are, are clearly going to uh, uh, create a, a very you know, intense and real regulatory conversation of how do you protect, um, you know, customers at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in order to, to stay on this 250,000 prediction, because uh, what I should say about, about Draper is that he has been right most of this time up to this point honestly uh even when honestly uh when it's first hearing his predictions at bitcoin it was like 2500 it seemed kind of ridiculous that he's he was saying was going to reach a hundred thousand at the time and then he upped it to 250 uh, um you know uh 
So, and I can't get anybody to uh, to agree that that's going to happen in 2023. I'll, I'll tell you his reasons, though. Right? He is saying, yeah, Tim is uh, has described. I've probably interviewed him a dozen times. He describes himself as investing from the point of view not of what can go wrong, but what can go right. So what he means to say, and he's got a lot of winners, you know, ones that we forget about, like Hotmail, stuff like that. Um, You know, so he's looking for a situation where we're able to use Bitcoin at a retail level. He talks about the role of, uh, you know, women in the household controlling most of the household budget. And, you know, as soon as it becomes a... uh, convenient way to buy bread it's going to to shift uh the use of bitcoin overall um i'll just go ahead and uh take it to you mario since i don't i don't think we've uh uh, touched base yet um you know are are we do you think that there's the possibility of that happening this year people are building this year there's been a lot of innovation going on i can tell you that no that's correct i liked the what can go right phrasing um i'm originally from Colombia. i'm actually here right now and, you know, as you said, you know, it's the women in the household, uh, these developing markets that I think is where the adoption is really going to, uh, to spur from in this, in this part of the cycle. Um, you know, you can look at, you know, I don't know if you guys remember the um, meeting that happened parallel to Davos last year in El Salvador, where several members of central banks from developing countries met in El Salvador to learn how they were integrating Bitcoin into their society. And I look at, you know, perhaps in the next 12 months, you know, some announcements from those types of countries, whether it's in Latin, in Africa, uh, starting to look at Bitcoin. And I think if that can happen and we keep, you know, seeing adoption um, of using Bitcoin as many of these currencies continue to fall against the dollar, I think that could be a catalyst for us uh, to go upward. What about you, Cassidy? You you had your hand up. Yeah, hello, hello. So, um... Yeah, in, in in my addition addition to, to this actually, because um looking at it um back then why um while we were in twenty 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 because um all the way from sixty thousand it actually like um fell over down here. I'm actually thinking because due to the inflation, because um you know there was actually like a, an an outstanding inflation which is actually in vogue coming from the like the times of the COVID nineteen, which was actually in vogue, which was um actually piling up, <laughs> looking at the, like, the Bitcoin price, looking at everything, of which but later everything, everything just, like, um, like had to, like, just, like, calm down all of a sudden, all the way from 60,000. So, I would say um, Bitcoin is actually, like, uh, a coin that actually works with hype. Cryptocurrency right. actually works with hype, because um, when you actually, like, um, because presently, if you actually look at most countries right right now, people that actually don't know more about cryptocurrency or like when you actually like or talk about, about Bitcoin, when you talk Bitcoin, about Bitcoin, work with hype, works with tech, blockchain, nodes. It yeah. has like few other pillars, right? Yeah. So, so I would say so, that more for other altcoins, maybe, but I think that Bitcoin is not centered on on hype. At all, I have to disagree there. Well, it's staked in belief, Jose. So, Jose, so hype is a little bit of a nebulous term. Okay, okay, okay. If you actually look at at this, if you look at it this way, because presently at the crypto crypto market, presently, because 
looking at um other aspects apart from bitcoin because we actually noticed um there was a, an instance where nfts actually came into place so due to the hype that actually came on nfts people started going like shifting their funds to buying nfts buying digital hearts buying um all sorts of things like doing their um doing like investing their money in digital ads but i know that before the end of this year i think this is actually something that um that is actually possible with um looking at the clause and looking at um the way it's actually going because due to the um the ftx the ftx charger that actually happened the ftx charger um bitcoin was actually like almost going to like uh we were actually having eighteen thousand. But FTX actually brought it back, way down back to um, 16,000. So we're presently we're actually on the 16,000 um, level. But I actually feel, and I'm looking at it with some predictions, I think it should be something that we can actually achieve. Okay. All right. So, you know, to take it from the point of view of what can go right, uh, we'll start with, with you on this one, Clem. You know, look, just as an exercise, to say even even if we we don't want to if we don't want to posit that it could reach 250 say you know what would have to go right to end up with an incredibly strong bitcoin this year what would a hundred thousand wherever you think it could possibly top out i think that you don't believe it's gonna top out anywhere near that but in terms of use cases and how people are experiencing and interacting with crypto what what kind of series of circumstances would relate to things going right enough for crypto overall that uh, that that Bitcoin could be in that kind of position. Uh, what could go right in inverted commas is that the stock market could crash, the Fed could panic and go into QE and printing loads of money again, or we get another COVID type thing and and everybody um, starts printing money like crazy. Because if they start printing money like crazy, all that liquidity goes into the most friable, most volatile asset, and that of course is Bitcoin. So any money supply orgasm would go straight into Bitcoin. And of course, you know, everyone's dreaming that the Fed is going to turn around and start um, QE again and dropping interest rates because of the oncoming recession. And of course, you know, there was a a more vicious COVID um, virus to appear out of China, which everyone was worried about. Then we would, you know, there would be hell to pay. And of course, it's very easy for Bitcoin to be a million dollars a coin when bread or beer is 100,000 a loaf. And sure. hyperinflation would do that overnight. So any any risk of hyperinflation, real old fashioned or rather, you know, German hyperinflation, Venezuelan hyperinflation, Hungarian hyperinflation or post-war hyperinflation would make um, Bitcoin a uh, million dollars a coin really easily. But that is not what it's forming <laughs> right now. Your 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 what if is surprisingly depressing for for something labeled uh, what could go right for Bitcoin. Does, doesn't sound well, like it's very right for everybody else. Commas. I put it in inverted commas, but of, of course, Bitcoin as a haven asset, you know, things go wrong, makes haven assets go up, right? So what goes right for Bitcoin as a haven a- asset is what goes wrong for everybody else. I tell you, if fiat currency melted down and the era of Bitcoin a- a- appeared overnight, that would be an absolute catastrophe for most people. Right. Um, what about you, Charles? You know, your most rosy, most optimistic point of view on crypto overall, because I think it's kind of, you could disentangle to a degree. You can call the rest of them shit coins, of course, aside from maybe Bitcoin and Ethereum. I get it. But, uh, you know, for the future of Bitcoin itself and crypto overall, 
um, you know, what would be the rosiest uh, combination of circumstances you, you could imagine? I, I don't think we're going to see 250, right? I think that's, you know, that's dreaming, right? There, there are too many things going on in the market. Um, we haven't seen the, the the last shoe drop. Bitcoin miners are are struggling, right? We'll see what happens with, you know, Genesis, Gemini. Uh, 12 months is a very, sh- you know, it's a very short time. Um, you know, consumer sentiment is just not there. That's not, you know, if you live through Mount Gox, I think it was kind of six months before people started to kind of, uh, the discussion changed in the media. Um, so we, we've got a, a, you know, a decent road that's going to take us through half the year where there'll still be more discussions on these other shoes to drop. So I, I, I think, you know, from a rosy picture, um, we could definitely have a nice bump in crypto. We'll see what happens with inflation. So I agree with all those the, those comments, but it's it's I, I don't see Bitcoin cracking 100,000 this year. I would be very surprised. Um, you know, it, it'd be nice to see. I could see some very positive gains from here, especially if, um, you know, some of the bigger elements uh, like the Gemini Genesis get resolved um, and we start building confidence. I don't think we're at a point where we're going to see people using it um, you know, to buy a, you know, a carton of milk or something, right? Like we've, we've been talking about that for years. That That's a very long road, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I think we do need to get DeFi going. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of regulation for centralized um, services. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, our company, we do non-custodial staking. Like I, you know, zero interest in holding people's keys, right? That's too right. risky. We don't have, we don't have the setup despite being, you know, an ASDAQ company. It's, it, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. And I think, people keep failing at it time and time again. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's going to take time. So, you know, we're not, at least in my opinion, we're not going to see that 250. Uh, I'd be shocked if we see half of that, but I do think we could potentially be at the bottom. Um, and if we are not at the bottom, we just kind of linger along and a couple more events make it fluctuate. And until the, you know, the air is cleared and people are focusing on the the, the real value proposition of what you know crypto can do and how it can help society. Uh, until we get back to, back to looking at that, we're not going to see huge jumps. Thank you. Right. It's it's funny so so far, Jose. Uh, we, we keep uh, we keep asking for rosy optimism, and I think we end up uh, somewhere in the round of like sober realism. <laughs> no, no, nobody's no, feeling no, up no, that no, optimism. No, 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 no. And it's what it is, you know. We don't want also to to speak nonsense, right? Uh-huh. Uh, we're speaking out the real world, and although this it's everything digital, it has like real impact on the world. And I think that we don't have to 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 fulfill a hype that is not real. We have to focus on what's real, building and make making as safety as possible. You know, I think that. Uh, also focusing on a regulation on on the centralized parties that uh, act in in the crypto space is it's important to to move forward right uh-huh. yeah no i i agree yeah brock I, I don't know if i was getting feedback or if you were okay um so oh, by the way brock i want to ask you about davos and wef be- before you get off I, I know so if you have to drop off let me know i, I want to ask you a couple questions if that's okay I, i'm here um you can ask now or we can talk about it later well okay um first of all i know have have uh do you do you want to uh you want to give us your idyllic view of what could happen in 2023 to give us a, a meteoric bitcoin yeah i mean it's uh 
in the same way that black swan events, you know, create, you know, the market circumstances that we're in, you know, which we generally understand what happened, how and why. Um, I think that this year is, you know, going to be more a year of, you know, uh, shaking out all the, I uh, call it bad actors and all the market correction and the foundation sort of solidifying. And I would be surprised if we break 100,000 this year, um, but I'm bullish in the, in the long term. Again, I think trust has been uh, eroded and it takes time to, to, to rebuild that and, and inspire confidence in people. But then again, there could be external events, you know, inflationary events or otherwise that, you know, could you know, cause something to, you know, could be a catalyst to something happening large and sooner. Though, um, you know, I, I, I'd take the under on uh, over 100,000 this year, but bullish over the long run. And I think that DeFi is the answer. Um, you know, as our decentralized financial sort of products are there that mitigate the, the trust-related issues, I think as more trustworthy traditional financial institutions are in the business, that would inspire some confidence, call it with the broader retail public. Um, you know, institutions are able to operate here. I've, I've heard some good news. Some of the biggest um, uh, players um, I know, which I wish were managing my crypto portfolio uh, based upon their performance, they exited 100% of their position in late 2021 at the top of the market. And some of those group, groups that had been entirely out of the market for a year have been sending me messages explaining that they're, you know, they think we're near the bottom. Obviously, it could come down further. But there are some major players looking to re-enter the market at this time. And I'd say that's a really positive data point. Um, but I'm not sure that gets us to uh, $100,000. I think um, uh, this has been the most damaging event our industry has ever experienced, much bigger than Mt. Gox, much bigger than, you know, the last market cycle correction. But we've been here before. Uh, it doesn't um, create long-term concern, but it's it's definitely eroded a lot of trust, and it takes time to rebuild that. Most damaging because there was, uh, you know, more dumb money involved this time. There yes, are more people the taking of, bigger number risks. Number of market participants, number of uh, organizations or entities that have imploded as a result of it. You know, it's it, it was a contagion. It's kind of like. Um, kind of like the, the, the global uh, uh, sort of financial system and globalization, everything is kind of connected. Something has a problem over here, it affects something over there. And the way that round tripping of sort of loans were occurring, it's, it's, this has impacted more people uh, directly, not just a drop in price, but account holders, whether you're at Celsius and the 600,000 people there, the judge just ruled that their terms of service are enforceable and that Celsius owns all those assets of those 600,000 customers. They never read it. You know, you've, this has affected directly millions of people, far more numbers than, you know, Mt. Gox said. We were a smaller industry at the time. So, uh, uh, and, and also more people paying attention than ever before. And so the negative media cycle that's come out of this um, the impact it's even had all the way up into our into our government, the embarrassing situation that's created, you know, has created a lot of bad will. I mean, it's bad. It's 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 terrible um, and and should be avoidable. Um, you know, I'll tell you one of my strategies. I don't trust any company in the space that hasn't survived a bear market. You know, if you haven't been through a market correction and been battle tested, I don't trust you. You know, I want to see how you weather your first storm. Like, can you survive uh, north of the wall? Um, and if you can't do that, you know, I don't want to utilize you for anything meaningful because every time we see the same thing, you know, every time there's a major market correction, 
people that took on too much risk or whatever it is, they implode. You know, Terra Luna, whatever it is. In each bull market, I want to see how you weather a bear market. And that's when I know whether or not I would even contemplate, you know, uh, mm -hmm. utilizing you in any meaningful way. I don't trust upstarts. And just to confirm, that was a Game of Thrones reference you were making there, correct? Absolutely. If you, you know, I survive <laughs> north of the wall, you know, because that's when you find out. It's like when the tide goes out, right? You find out who's got, you know, who's got trunks on and who doesn't. And, you know, we're going through a one of, another one of those cycles. And with each one of these things, the industry, though, does get stronger. It takes time to recover. But the overall ecosystem through each one of these cycles is being further battle tested. And by the way, good riddance to the bad actors. I'm disappointed that they were allowed to get too big too quick. But that's because people are putting too much trust too quickly into organizations that haven't yet proven, you know, their ability to manage risk you know, through any one of these cycles and, and promising yields and people get greedy and they're normally people that have, it's their first, you know, sort of market cycle they've been in. They get too comfortable. They get too greedy. They chase the yields and then they pay the price. Um, and, and, but these are, you know, overall we're learning from it, but unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, we're also causing a lot of harm to a lot of people and it takes time to heal from that and, and to, uh, and, and to restore trust and that starts to happen again when when people get excited and they they see markets. And by the way, if you've lost money, you know, I've, I've been a venture capitalist and worn many hats. When I find a, a, a new market opportunity that excites me and I lose money on something, I don't then say I'm never going to invest in that 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 idea again. I, I've now paid tuition. I've, I've spent the money to learn, hopefully didn't lose too much. But I now have some expertise that allows me to be better positioned to succeed the next go around than I could previously. And that's why I don't encourage people to play around with much money in this space until they know what they're doing. Because the smaller you start, the, the less you're going to lose. And normally we always lose something in the beginning when you're entering into a market you don't know. And most people are generally buying in at tops of markets when it's exciting rather than buying in at the bottom of markets because it's counterintuitive, but obviously the correct way to, to do most things, buy low. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, absolutely. Always good uh, good to have your thoughts. I'm going to come circle back around to Davos just in a second, but I want to give Mina an opportunity. Uh, Mina, it seems like all of your fellow pa panelists are just, uh, we're all just a bunch of worry warts. Nobody's here trying to tell me about a situation other than collapse of other institutions that's that's going to give us $100,000 uh, Bitcoin. Um, what, what do you think? What, what, what's the best possible turn of event that could bring us there? Um, what I see is something happening with artificial intelligence where uh, someone comes up with a solution where it, it requires Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain in general. Uh, so, so something along the, the lines of DeFi, uh, chat G, GPT. Um, th that's what I see happening this year. Uh, AI has been picking up a massive amount of attention and i think if that continues which i think it will um that's going to change things potentially for blockchain so that's what i see positive as as potentially happening this year uh, i i'm not quite sure if it's going to get 100k uh it could be a little bit less um more than likely uh but that that i think is uh, what's in store uh for crypto of course uh, a recession inflation that would certainly help uh blockchain as a uh, safe haven like gold all right perfect uh you know brock i i saw that you're going to uh be attending uh davos 2023 which coincides with the uh world economic forum and davos switzerland um 
Yeah, I believe that you've you've been there uh, the, the the previous couple of years as well. Uh, what, what are you looking forward to talking about this year? <laughs> I may or may not be going, um, uh, but yes, uh, they 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 are always confirming to have me speak and want me to participate at a lot of events. I mean, it's a it, it's it's an interesting event in the sense that uh, uh, the concentration of you know call it world leaders and uh, uh, major players within the within the world and that concentration in a small area for a small period of time makes it an incredibly uh, efficient way to have a lot of conversations uh, with a lot of interesting people. Um, I was there uh, you know last year and did do that for uh, for a couple of days. Uh, what I'll tell you is that uh, for anyone that's ever been to like South by Southwest, um, uh, Davos, you know, was really just the, the, the main event run by the World Economic Forum. And what's happened over the uh, last five, six years is that the crypto community has built out an entire kind of South by Southwest secondary event that is, you know, from a branding perspective, you can't not be uh, uh, introduced to it. You know, lots of venues, lots of conversations, lots of parties. Um, an interesting last year, also the the, the psychedelic um, uh, community had a, a major presence there, and that's something that didn't exist until the cryptocurrency community basically showed up and said, "You can't ignore us. Here we are." Uh, and uh, and it's because of a handful of friends of mine that that you know had the access to a place that's supposed to be inaccessible to to effectively turn that on. Uh, for anybody that you know is thinking about going, I mean, I would recommend it. You know, as a high uh, uh, high target rich you know sort of environment to engage with a lot of interesting people in a short period of time uh i'm just uh, uh uh spread very thin and i'm already working with you know 40 governments and heads of state and their legislatures and um i don't i, I it, it's it's really pl a place where i think it's great for sort of meet and greet to, to, to develop a, an, an initial sort of relationship that then would be followed up when people are not so busy. It's like going to any conference. It's easy to get five minutes of attention from people to begin a conversation, but you have to follow through with it. I have enough conversations going on right now that I might cancel. <laughs> and you, uh, you have, uh, as you said, you've, you've been working directly with El Salvador and, and a number of other governments. Um, you know, who has uh, obviously like, there's when you're speaking to uh, global finance and government related people, I, I imagine there's less of a learning curve than there was a couple of years ago. Is that fair to say? Um, I think the learning curve is still there. I think what's changed is the interest, the curiosity. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a, a shift where, you know, I think that the, the general consensus is that this technology is real and there's real benefits to it and that people need to start their learning. Um, and so people are paying attention in ways they didn't. I'd still say the learning curve uh, uh, is still there. And the big shift is that there's genuine interest to learn now. Um, it's not a, uh, you know, some uh, idea that people feel they need to learn, whether this on, is on Capitol Hill. I spent a lot of time in Congress talking to uh, members of the House and Senate. And, you know, uh, it's, it's the interest is there. Obviously, the, the again the 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 SBF FTX stuff uh, has clearly probably um, impacted the speed at which people want to move forward with things. Um, you know, El Salvador 
when you look at it closely, has been an incredibly successful uh, event. But everybody looks at the price of Bitcoin as the primary barometer um, of, of success when it's really just sentiment and sentiment is down right now. I, I don't think that changes the interest, but I think it changes the uh, the speed at which people want to roll things out. You know, people don't want to be pioneers like President Bukele was. They want to be fast followers. Um, mm -hmm. And they want to be following success stories, um, data points that have been uh, uh, proven to be successful. And what's really been uh, uh, the early success that we've seen in El Salvador is really around financial inclusion. 70% of the population was unbanked. And uh, theoretically, now, now there's still a learning curve of user adoption and learning how to use it and uh, becoming an active tool, but it's gone for, to 30%, you know, basically on bank. You've seen a complete flip uh, because of the success that the Chivo wallet had. And that's also because the government offered everyone in the country $30 to download the wallet. Um, right. So there was an economic incentive for mass adoption. And then there's the long process of people using it on a regular basis, which isn't there, but I would call it overwhelmingly a success from that perspective. Financial inclusion is an issue that's been around for decades. And what El Salvador was able to do in less than a year to impact those numbers is, uh, uh, is extraordinary, though it does take time for, you know, people overestimate what they can do in a year and they often underestimate what can be done in a decade. Right. Right. And, and there has been some criticism of the uh, El Salvador implementation suggesting that people, uh, by and large, are not using the Chiva wallet, for example. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you, uh, how much you're involved with it at this point, but you, you think that so far as an experiment, it has been successful. Yeah, I mean, again, you, it, it, you can look at it how you want. Um, yes, the level of consistent use, daily activity, monthly activity, it takes time to teach people that have never had that have lived off cash their entire life how to you know use a mobile wallet and what financial services do and regular consistent usage but the the, the amount of distribution that occurred is real um and yeah did everyone overnight that download the wallet start using it as a primary uh, way of uh, uh, conducting financial transactions? No, because it takes time to actually learn how to use these things. You're trying to change human behavior and human behavior does take some time. It doesn't happen immediately. But in terms of getting a, you know, a quick sort of uh, installation in and across the country, it, that, that, that data is real. And yes, it was financially incentivized, uh, but it's, it, it's real and you can take a look at it and criticize it and say, well, not everyone's actually using it every day. That's true. But are a bunch of using it? Are you actually seeing adoption uh, uh, occur? Yes. So it depends on how you want to look at it. Is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? Sure. You know, uh, there uh, there is certainly there's some um, advantages to be had for for countries that are ready to be uh, quick adopters or early adopters of crypto. Who you know to give credit where it's due. Who's really killing it right now in terms of governments or specific people within governments, uh, regulators, uh, finance people that, that really seem to get it in a progressive in a progressive way? Who's doing an outstanding job or has really impressed you? Well, I'd say it's market signaling more than anything else uh, right now. Uh, Mayor Suarez in Miami, you know, by being outspoken, said, hey, we want to be part of the future. We welcome innovators. There's been a, a, a massive migration of wealthy people to Miami, not just from the crypto community, but, you know, what's happened here the last couple of years. Uh, uh, Dubai has also similarly been a huge beneficiary of bringing innovative capital, right? You have to think over the long term. 
what made you know Dubai, Dubai, Singapore, Singapore, or even any of our old cities, the Londons, the Romes, the, the New Yorks. It was the concentration of capital in all its forms, intellectual capital, social capital, creative capital, financial capital, and the economic development that comes from it. And one of the things that you've seen is how do you attract the world's innovators? Like, how do you attract the people that are building, call it the future systems in which our world is going to run? And a lot of it is just government saying, hey, we, we, we want to be a part of this. You don't even need much in the way of regulation. I mean, Mayor Suarez, all he did in the city of Miami is say that municipal employees can receive up to all of their paycheck in Bitcoin. You know, from a, from a, a landmark, you know, sort of like legislative perspective, it's kind of a yawn. But what it did is it sent a signal to people that are looking to be where the action is. And it's moved, it's moved real economic activity you know, these cities, municipalities, in, or countries in, in some instances that have raised their hand and say, we want to be part of the future. How does an El Salvador, you know, get innovators and, and wealth to move there that can create economic development, similar to what we've seen in Puerto Rico, not because of anything the government did, but just the migration of people at a time where with COVID, people are open to living differently. You can work from anywhere and people are rethinking where it is they want to be. And the places that capture that economic activity and that intellectual activity, that creative activity, you know, 10, 20, 50 years from now are likely going to benefit greatly from it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing what you're saying. And I think that so, so many people should understand that it's so important to have laws in your own country that support and, uh, and support immigration and, uh, and promotes capital from the world to, to, get based there. That, that's so important. Thanks for sharing that, bro. I mean, I, yeah. I would just like to add here that I, I think that we're missing the big picture. I, I used to be a professional numismaticist, i.e., you know, someone who's into coin collecting. And a lot of people are talking like coin collectors. It's not about the coin. It's not about the money. It's about the economy and what you can do with it. And the future is not about how much is this gold coin going to be worth or this Bitcoin going to be worth or etc. It's what can you do with it? And it's what you can do with it that is key. And that is what's going to come next. And that is what's going to add value to the coin is the economy that it facilitates, not the coin itself. So I think all this thinking about it in terms of what well, is this coin and more people are going to use this coin and this coin's the future, this coin's going to be worth more, is missing the point. The blockchain and cryptography that goes with it that enables lots of other new unique and revolutionary applications that's what makes bitcoin valuable that's what makes ethereum valuable that's what makes all these coins valuable not the coin themselves are there any actors in the global stage whether you're talking about a regulatory framework or or uh you know individual uh, diplomats or, or economists uh, economists what have you uh, that um, have impressed you in terms of their vision, being able to uh, foment a, a blockchain innovation within the country? They're not relevant. What's relevant is people using it. It's, it's the 7,999,000,000 people who go, wow, I can do this thing with this thing. That is right. relevant. Not, not a load of, you see, there's this ass-kissing of regulators and institutions, <laughs> which I think is totally missing the point. You know, people have to use it. People have got to want to use it because there's something of value to them that it adds. It improves their lives. It improves their, their happiness. It improves their functionality. 
That is what makes crypto great. And the permissionless and the trustless nature of it is what opens a whole broad horizon of revolutionary projection of products and applications and ideas, most of which haven't been thought of yet. So fixating about the value of a coin, I think is completely wrong. We should be fixating about the potential use cases, not the tokens and the coins themselves. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you overall. Uh, you know, but uh, to to uh, complete the Davos uh, World Economic Forum thing, uh, Charles, is there anything that you're looking uh, to come out of this? Is there any? Is there anyone's attitude? I'm trying to identify essentially one regulator, one regulators or set of regulators. They're doing it better than another. I mean, partially driven by the fact that I don't think we're necessary. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect most people would would put the U.S. at the head of the pack. <laughs> so I'm kind of wondering. Okay, well, who's doing it wonderfully right now? I don't think anyone's doing it wonderfully, right? And, and it's you know it, the problem is I think a lot of people look at the regulators. And it's really simple. You could say, okay, the SEC is all wrong and bash them. But these are very large organizations, right, that have lots of different departments, um, you know, that, that focus on different things. And I think, you know, you know I'm, I'm not against regulation. I'm, I'm for meaningful regulation that protects our society, right? And, you know, if you look at, for example, the SEC, their mandate makes a lot of sense. The formation of capital and the protection of investors. How they're going about applying that to crypto, I, I don't really agree with, right? I think it could, they could do a much better job. Uh, I think they could have done a, a better job six years ago. We would have had clear guardrails and a lot of these issues could be avoided. But there's, you know, there is a need for that, right? Because there are always going to be crooks in the world, right? I mean, look, look at FTX. If there were guardrails now, uh, we wouldn't have these issues. I think the, the, the long-term success in crypto is truly going to be when it works without people realizing how it works, right? And that's what we had in the internet, right? Like in, you know, in, in the <clears throat> late 90s and early 2000s, people were talking about different protocols like FTP and HTTPS. And you know, that was a discussion. I worked at a tech company now. And now no one talks about that stuff. Like I just want my Uber to show up. I just want my stuff to work. And we're not there yet with DeFi or these other solutions, right? It's only the guys geeking out in the space that know it are actually doing it. When it starts to become a viable solution on a world scale, this is going through the roof, right? This is like the repiping of the way assets move globally, right? And I think that that's the question of, it's not a question of if, it's just when. And when that happens and people demand it, you know, their political, the, the, the way most countries work, people are going to, the citizens are going to demand that, that they have access to these tools and, and, these, and these things that benefit their life. And the regulators will fall in line and create where needed um, the right regulation so that we, you know, can combat, you know, fraud and crooks and we don't have the FTX. So it, it, like, I think what we're really talking about here, going back to the whole, you know, concept of this, of this call is do we hit 250 in Bitcoin or, you know, who knows what we hit in Ethereum? It's not if, it's just when, right? Um, and, you know, that, that's the real discussion. It's, it's not when do we hit these prices, you know, if we hit, it's when, and, and that's a hard thing to say, right? With, with, a, with any kind of price prediction. Right. Can I just add that regulators have fined the financial services industry $500 billion in the last 10 years. So how good a job do they do that they have to come back round and find financial services companies, institutions that everyone wants to kiss up to, $500 billion? It's not a solution to anything. 
Well, Coinbase just handed over a hundred million, and, and well, to read the press, to read the press release, they're very and pleased. Too, and what happened to them next? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's better than the uncertainty. A good um, positive um, you know, result from all of this um, turmoil has been self custody and education on not your keys, not your cheese. Um, and I think that's I think that's a, a big difference between past cycles and this cycle is. Uh, kind of the layman's terms, my mom, um, you know, understanding that, you know, what a cold wallet is. And I, I think, um, you know, if, 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 if there's yield, you're the yield. Uh, kind of those concepts are starting to really come out. I think that's going to just uh, add to, to a greater growing of more educated stakeholders and, and kind of being able to hopefully bring that confidence and sentiment back. Look, mm-hmm. you guys must get attacked by scammers 10 times a day like I do. Right. Sure. So when the regulators shut that shit down, then they'll get my respect. Yeah. But right now I'm getting attacked by robbers 10 times a day. And what are the regulators doing about it? Whatever regulators are necessary to shut that down. They're not doing anything. Right. So why is it such a great thing that, that they're going to get involved in crypto? To add on that point, there are two concepts. One is the theoretical concept of what regulation should be, and the other is the actual execution and how how good a job they do, right? And they're two completely different things, right? Like, you can make the argument, right? You can make the argument, I make the argument, like, I think there should be, you know, regulation to make sure these things don't happen just because the regulators screw it up. And I, I can tell you, if you've watched, you know, gaming the street or some of the things that go on on wall street um, that, that I'm probably more familiar with on, on, on the, being a public company, like it, it makes me irate. Right. Um, but that, that's not a function of, you know, that's just poor execution of regulation. That is not yeah. a function of, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean I don't believe in, you know, quality regulation. I just think we got to do a better job. Right. You've got to find you know, where it is. Yeah. Where is it then? Singapore, that, Singapore. That, that brings um, us to probably the the final point that we're going to be able to cover in our time today, which is uh, decentralization. Uh, hope you don't all mind uh, me going a little bit past uh, one o'clock. Uh, thank you so much for coming. By the way, everyone, please follow everybody on the panel. I, I'm impressed over and over again with just the the, the strength of the intelligent conversations we have going on uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at uh, twelve noon ET. Uh, every week, and, and like I'm just very, very pleased that everyone was able to come out. I, I, I see we we have a question uh, coming from Jenny, and and go ahead, Jenny. Do you want to you want to want to ask a question of the panelists? You have something to say? Yes. Hi. Hey, Brock. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm driving in the rain, Orange County. So if you hear a little noise in the back, please uh, excuse me there. Uh, but just please. Boom. But <laughs> be careful. Uh, it's not that much traffic, so it, it's good. I, I'm actually just driving like 25 miles an hour, so so I'm good. Uh, I actually have okay. uh, two questions: a, a political one that's probably going to be for Brock, and uh, a Bitcoin one, so anyone can uh, pick that up. Uh, so the first question is the political one, uh, Brock. I guess I'll just gear it towards you. Uh, in terms of China zero COVID. Uh, all of a sudden, they just lifted recently, the last couple of weeks. Now, there are speculations and rumors that uh, they lifted it because uh, they may want to attack Taiwan. Uh, they can't attack Taiwan uh, if there is, a, you know, a, a zero COVID. Uh, so that's why they have to lift that. Uh, so the question is, do you think that's possible? 
And uh, the, the second part to that question is, if it is possible and if there's, you know, a war going on, do you think that would help uh, Bitcoin or that would, uh, you know, make Bitcoin drop below 10,000? So that's the first question, the, polit- the political one for Brock. Uh, and then the Bitcoin one, it's anybody can can pick it up really is um, uh uh, what is the lowest that you think that Bitcoin may drop? Uh, I believe we're heading into um, uh, 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 Bitcoin halving. Uh, is it this year or is it next year? This year. Um, so usually when there's a bit... Oh, next year. Okay, my apologies. So next year. So my, my estimate, actually, I, I did pen uh, an article about it that I believe that Bitcoin uh, would not hit an all-time high until after uh, Bitcoin halving. And so what what do you guys think about that? So th- those are just my two questions. Uh, thank you so much. Well, I mean, of, of the many terrible things that can happen that, you know, improves uh, uh, the market or price of Bitcoin, uh, uh, a war between uh, uh, China, Taiwan, or any other parties that may get involved uh, in that is a, is just a horrible thing to have to think about. Um, China has been clear uh, and consistent in their position that Taiwan is theirs and always has been and should be reunified. Um, I, I pray that you know the lifting of the COVID uh, 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 policies in China are not a signal of uh, an eminent, call it invasion. Um, I think that would be a terrible thing for the world, but China has consistently uh, expressed their, uh, their intent. Um, I think that you know, another thing that's relevant to China there is you know, their own economy. Uh, you know, the whole world has been impacted by the, the, the policies that were implemented as a response to, uh, uh, to COVID, and they've been uh, massive. I mean, the amount of money that's been printed here in the U.S., uh, uh, the, the inflation and potential seri- uh, more serious inflation that may uh, uh, arise as a, as a result of that, the impact it's had on supply chains, food supplies, shortages of food, what's happening, these, these are terrible things that we're uh, uh, having to go through. And at this point, I think um, our COVID policies were, were clearly in with the benefit of hindsight, which obviously it's easy uh, with hindsight to, to, to know what the right or better answer was. Um, you know, our, our policies have been, you know, ineffective in, in stopping the spread. Um, and uh, uh, I imagine China is realizing you can't lock down your population and shut down industry for an extended period of time without having more severe consequences than the the, the health issues um, uh, that have been created by the spread with a, a, a vaccine that doesn't prevent uh, uh, transmission um, or infection. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I imagine China has to do this no matter what. You can't shut down your economy and, and, and lock up your people um, and not have uh, serious consequences in the long run. Uh-huh. Um, what about the uh, the low for Bitcoin? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Clem's already seven, said that. You said we visual coin. What's that? Seven and a half thousand. Okay. That's the that's the that's the potential lowest low. I, I think it'll probably go under ten, and thirteen is very reasonable. All right, sounds like a good year to buy. Um, anybody else want want to take a stab at that? All right, so this is uh, you know it, uh, uh, um, uncertainty of tether. 
um, may affect that? You know, do you think it's down to ten thousand, or do you think it's it's unrelated? The uncertainty of tether. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, we're obviously hoping for a, a quick resolution on that one. Bitboy, uh, who's a major influencer, you're probably familiar with Ben Armstrong. Um, you know, predicted in a very optimistic tweet a couple of days ago that this is going to be settled out of court, and that uh, and the resignation of Gary Gensler to go just a little further than that. Um, you know. It, to have Tether not regulated as a security, uh, you know, it, is is this a battle that it's fighting for the industry overall? What what, what do you what, well, what do I you mean, think? I'll, I'll I'll speak to this as one of the founders of Tether. It was my idea. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if, if if something were to happen to uh, 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 to Tether, uh, that would be you know very problematic for the uh, for the industry overall. I think that the uh, uh, the tether issues are generally overstated um, in terms of what's there, what the balance sheet is, what the balance sheet is uh, invested into is um, for the vast majority of it. It's, it's U.S. Treasuries at this point. I think that aligns interests with the U.S. Um, uh, and it's really what comes out of the regulatory conversation. You know, everybody's saying. Uh, okay, look at what happened with FTX. Look at what's happening with CFI. Well, we need to regulate non-custodial wallets. Oh, and we need to go talk about stable coins, which is not the issue, right? It's people are not focusing on addressing the issue at hand and, uh, and trying to use this as an argument to uh, regulate things that were not even relevant to the issues that we're currently addressing. But yes, I'd say that the regulatory discussion is great. And uh, 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 Gary Gensler may, may be resigning. Um, I know uh, uh, my, our industry would be very happy about that. I think a lot of us were hopeful, you know, that Gary Gensler, someone that understood our industry was going to be a good advocate or ally that would uh, uh, act sensibly. Uh, and we got the opposite of what we expected. So I know the industry would be uh, uh, enthusiastic and cheer if that event would occur. I think you've got to be careful what you wish for there because you can always get someone worse. I mean, they banned crypto in China, right? So the reason why our stable coins are an issue is they're a direct competitor to fear. And they're a very clever direct competitor to fear. And government doesn't matter if, if private investors lose their shirts. They care about the fact that fear is where they make their money. And if you go challenging that, well, you know, that's pretty spicy, isn't it? So Tether is really, you know, a challenger to fiat currencies all around the world. So therefore, it's going to be in the crosshairs and it's in the crosshairs and it will probably be OK. But, you know, it's either worth a dollar. It's never going to be worth more than one dollar and three for very long. And maybe it's worth zero, but probably worth zero is a small percentage of um, chance and it'll probably be a survivor and carry on being worth a dollar let me jump in with the, this last idea you know i, I noticed it's during been, the it's, it's been great here in Colombia. most of my family use it to, uses it to dollarize uh, versus the blood oh really having to actually go get the dollars physically themselves do you, is there a name that you think would be a good replacement or or follow-up to act to, to Gary at the SEC? Who would we like to see helming the SEC uh, besides Gary? I, I vote for Jose. Anybody have any other votes? I, I think Brock would be great, don't you? <laughs> that would be great. Brock, Brock's all totally involved in politics right now. So, 
is would you accept it brock if it was offered to you if by some some incredible confluence of events they offered you the head of the sec oh it, wow it's certainly not a job that i'm interested in, nor would i want but if extended the offer hypothetically speaking on behalf of um uh, the the country and the world and innovation in general, I would be forced <laughs> to accept it, even though I have zero interest and desire in doing it. Um, uh, uh, it, it. I mean, it's it's important that you have people that understand the past, the present, and the future, and making sure that we are supporting innovation in the country. Uh, what's made America great is ultimately that we've been the innovative capital of the world. And it's important that we stay that way. And the decisions that we make right now are going to determine the long-term impact and our role uh, as the great innovative nation that we are. If, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw a name out there if that's all right. I mean, you know, uh, Hester Pierce has been, you know, relatively um, open-minded about the potential of what cryptocurrency can do. She's currently a commissioner. I never worked with her, so I have no idea, you know, her, you know, her capabilities. But there are good people out there, right? Um, that could create more value for our industry by getting that thoughtful regulation, especially around centralized, um, you know, entities, right? Like if, if someone's going to take your keys, yeah, I want them regulated, right? Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's dangerous. We see what happens. We've seen it in Mt. Gox. We've seen it in FTX. We've seen it in Celsius. Like, you know, let's get some, some, some good regulators to, to fix the problem. Um, but we need the right people. So that's one name I would throw out. I don't know if, she, you know, if she'd be interested, if she would, you know, if she's the right person, but, uh, from a, um, a media standpoint, uh, it appears that, that she's, uh, got well-balanced views on, on how the technology can, you know, be amazing for, you know, society in our country. You know, so there we go. It, the, the answer isn't Brock Pierce, but another Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the first time you've been asked uh, what if you would take it if the, uh, you were offered head of the SEC, Brock? Um, I have had conversations with call it the political parties over the um, uh, sure about a you know the, the potential role in a cabinet position and and, and 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 things of this nature and whether or not I'd ever be open to it. Uh, but there's never been what I'd call serious conversations. Um, um, or what I'd consider to be very serious conversations on any any front. I, I care about what happens. I, I mean, I'm, I do the, the idea that I'm working in, in, in government and, and engaging with government to the degree that I, I, I do is not something I ever wanted to do. I don't have a desire uh, to do it. It's the question you, you, you eventually ask yourself when you realize the state of the system and realize that our system of governance or government is the thing that governs over us and if not us, who, if not now, when, and it becomes a moral obligation to be part of the solution when you recognize, recognize the severity of the problem. And so I do this not out of personal desire, but uh, out of moral obligation and because um, it, it affects all of us. Right. right. So, uh, you know, during the, the long, languorous bull run that we had, there was uh, surprisingly... You know, 
the discussion about centralization was not real decentralization was not really as much at the fore people were comfortable pumping money into these projects that were giving them returns and have tend to have flashier leaders tend to have by nature of being centralized perhaps do a little bit more marketing and so forth you know is 2023 the year of decentralization is that one of the uh positive lessons that we should take away from this turmoil um let's let's go ahead and uh start with you mina my apologies you cut off a little bit can i just repeat it oh I, I was just saying you know decentralization is that kind of the lesson that that we uh we've learned that the need for decentralization uh, coming out of all of the tumult of uh, 2022 well, I, I think we need a combination of decentralization, but also uh, a proper regulatory framework. And I kind of want to tie this to the previous question when we were asking about uh, 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 regulation in the U.S. and someone who has it right. I don't know to uh, what extent they are perfect. I'm sure they're not. But I think Singapore is a great uh, uh, framework uh, where the government is essentially collaborating with uh, uh, entrepreneurs and, and companies. They've created a framework where where they work together and, and they try to come up with solutions uh, uh, um, while following government rules. Uh, hopefully someone here can shed a little bit more light on this and, and uh, provide more details that perhaps the U.S. can learn from because in the U.S. it seems to be that it's either uh, regulations or anti-regulations and and I, I don't see too much um, uh, collaboration with the government so I think uh, obviously long term we need decentralization uh, but uh, short term because it's a very new product uh, we definitely need a little bit more of a, a better framework so if someone if someone wants to elaborate more on Singapore I think that could be potentially helpful I'd like to come in on the question and just say it's human nature to centralize that's what our society does and has done for thousands of years. The decentralization idea is nothing new, but people, humans tend to centralize. So you have to fight to decentralize because decentralization has all the worries of being basically attacked as an individual with no defense. So there's a tension between centralization and decentralization. One won't replace the other. There's a dialogue between the two. Centralization is great, but most people do not want it. Right. Most people do not want decentralization, you mean to say. That's exactly right, yeah. Right. I, I agree. I mean, you know, people are more comfortable with one clear identified leader. People are more used to working within definable groups. I've I've literally some of I've worked with two of the oldest uh, two of the top 10 oldest coins out there without naming the projects who are you know, both in some ways, I believe, suffered from their inability to like promote because uh, they operate as a DAO. Like it, it's, uh, I, I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing. I'm just trying to say that they're still working it out in some ways. That it, it can be a disadvantage versus uh, companies that can come in with very clear leaders, very clear marketing messages, and organize as more of a, a traditional, uh, a traditional corporation and raking all this money. Um, you know, Charles, are, are we? Are, is is that going to be one of the big lessons of 2023 that we need to move toward decentralization? That that's what I hear when I, I hear the whole, uh, you know, my keys, my my crypto. It's not. I don't think it's that simple, right? You can't just flip a switch and say, "Hey, we're going to throw away," you know, decades and decades of systems that have been built that that have 
you know, incumbent players and, and, you know, people using them. It's just, it's not, it's not a very easy thing to do. It's going to be a very gradual shift away. Right. And I think, you know, in doing that, there's going to be this balance of, you know, we, we had that with DeFi, we had it with centralized exchanges. I mean, I, I honestly see the stock market moving to a blockchain based system. I know there's companies that have been working on that. We, we recently invested in one that's building a, uh, an exchange on Ethereum's blockchain. So there's a lot I, I see um, for the future, but it, it's not going to be the flip of a switch. It's going to take time um, and it's going to take, honestly, society, uh, the, you know, the younger generation to become accustomed to these types of, you know, to a decentralized system, to holding their own assets. And in the interim, we're going to have companies that, you know, bridge that gap, right? I mean, I, I, we're a perfect example, right? We're a, you know, NASDAQ company, people can get exposure to us, um, you know, through the, through the stock market, but we also are doing non-custodial staking, right? So if you want to, you know, I never understood why people wanted to do the, you know, lending, right? You, you get a couple more percent versus staking and you take, exorbitant risk for that additional couple points, right? If you stake natively, you hold your own keys, you delegate it to a blockchain, you're taking price risk and blockchain risk. That's it. You do it through Celsius and you've, oh my God, you get two more percent and what do you get? You don't have your keys, right? You get nothing. The, the risk is you lose everything. So I just think it's going to take people time to understand the different options and to slowly migrate. So um, again, it goes back to, to my earlier point that this is not a you know, it, it's the, what's that old expression? Like the tortoise and the hare, right? This is, this is, this is a long road, right? I've been in this for, you know, 10 years and seen multiple cycles, um, you know, per, per, per Brock's point, right? Like, you don't trust anyone that hasn't been in a while. I've had a lot of people, you know, say, hey, you should do this or uh, you should take on more risk. Um, and you know what? We, our company was sta started in 2013. Like how many companies are around from 2013 in this space? We're all being mm -hmm. small. But, you know, we're, we're here, right? Um, we didn't grow really fast and, you know, it's, it's, it's a slow road. I think crypto's, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing for society and the world, but it is not an overnight thing and overhyping it um, versus building solutions that are gonna benefit us all, um, you know, is, is not really that productive. Hence, I don't, I don't buy the 250, uh, you know, prediction going back to the, 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 the title of the, uh, of the chat. I should have invited Tim. <laughs> he's, he's harder to book lately. Um, what about you, Mario? Is, uh, is, is decentralization just going to be kind of a base level demand from uh, the crypto buyer going forward? Going forward? Nope. Mario? Nope. Maybe not. Uh, if, I can, if I can come in, Justin, just quickly. Yeah. The, the yeah. point is, as an independent person, as a decentralized person, you can't defend your assets very well. And if you go to centralization, they defend it for you. That's where the tension comes in. And there's always going to be a dialogue between an individual who can't protect himself from attack and a collective that can. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was what CZ's point was this week? Did you see when he, uh, he tweeted at, at one of the Bitcoin core devs who got his... Uh, his uh, seed phrase was compromised. His computer was compromised, actually. And CZ said something about the dangers of, uh, of self-custody. Or is exactly. that just a convenient position to take right now? I mean, no, I'm down it's, a real, say, it's a real true. thing. Uh, um, you know, if you look after your own keys, you're walking around with a nuclear football with millions of dollars in it. 
I mean, that's what you're going to do when you have to go to a party or go through an airport or etc. Yeah, I mean, that is the drawback of decentralization. Centralization, you, you hand it over to CZ and you hope he doesn't run off with it. Yeah, and so that there's your trade-off. Does C, is CZ able to be trusted? Is Sam Bankman-Fried able to be trusted? Or are you safe driving around in your Rolls Royce with fifty million dollars in your PC in the boot? Yeah, but that, that's a solvable problem, right? And is I think it, it, no, it is. It, it is a solvable problem. And, and well, if you just look at the companies that have that have attempted to solve it, right? You've got um, give me the solution. Well, look, we, we, we need we need to one educate people better. I mean, here's a great example. Like, even if you have money to, to that problem, because I'm walking so, around with millions of dollars in my PC. So tell me my solution. Well, so you, I wouldn't do that. I, mean, look, I can tell you, like, as a company, we self custody our own assets. We have them in self uh, in um, what's it called in cold storage. I don't have access to the private keys. Right. Yeah, well, I can't go does. access that crypto. What? Somebody does. Somebody we, has a we, 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 the, the private key, like, so our crypto, um, it, we, we follow a similar process to what Coinbase does, right? Our crypto is encrypted, um, SHA-256 offline, stored in multiple secure locations. If you want to access it to unlock the, 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 the crypto with that secure key, you need a password. I don't have that password. That password need, is... You need a bodyguard if you're... No, no. That password is sliced up. Right. And so you need multiple components. Right. If, if someone came to me and put a gun to my head and said, give me the key, but like, dude, I don't have it. You're gonna have to shoot me. Not because I, I, I like I, I could I could go in my basement. And get I don't have I just don't have it. Right. So because you're going to be, created... like, be like Vitalik and slice it up and give it to your family. You no, know? I'm not going to give it. Oh. No, no, I don't give it to my family. No, I mean, family. if you, you you could slice it up and I would, you know, and and give it to other providers right trusted trusted providers where they only have a piece of it oh, right they centralized they might be centralized then well, it, it is, but but here like there's never going to be a perfect solution okay but but they don't have it, it's like a uh, it's like it's like bitco right bitco has one of your keys would you be comfortable with bitco in a in a you know with the way they do it not my right? keys not my bitcoin no, but it, 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 they've look at Bitco. It's you've got three keys, right? So they have one. You basically control two. So any two keys will do it. They can't do anything with your Bitcoin. That's the whole point, right? So my my point is there aren't perfect solutions yet, but there's yeah. MPC. There's there, there's a lot of development. Like Curve got bought by PayPal for a reason. There's a lot of development where that, that could be done to solve this problem. Right. I don't think we have a perfect that's solution a yet. Statement. That's a future statement. Yeah, correct. Solve this problem. It's not solved, is it? No, I'm not, I never said it was solved. Right. Well, there, well, that's uh, my point. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Like we're in 100 percent agreement there. And that's one of the reasons why I think the industry is still immature. Right. Because we don't have a good solution where people can custody their own crypto without that risk. You take away that. Ri Hello. Hello. I think we lost Charles for a second there. I'm sorry about that. Well, I, I think, no, it's good. I like a lively debate. I, I think it comes down to, I mean, obviously, there are only one of two things we can really do as buyers. We either try to keep track of uh, that stuff ourselves and protect it. And, and now, Clem, now, now you need a mercenary to protect your computer. Um, or, uh, or we... I've got uh, one. Uh, <laughs> I've got three. They work shifts. <laughs> That's good. But uh, shift. Come on, you can't get a guy to work twelve hours. 
or you have to pay some third party. I mean, you you do the equivalent of putting it in a lockbox somewhere, in which case you are trusting some other centralized party to protect your interests. Look, the boss of Safra Bank in Monaco had a bodyguard, and his bodyguard set his house on fire to claim that somebody was trying to kill him and he saved him. Unfortunately, Safra didn't come out of his safe room and he died. Yeah. Security is the huge issue, and there's a dialogue between centralization and decentralization because it's a major, major problem. And not a day goes by without somebody hacking into some decentralized thing and stealing a load of money, right? And, and therefore, there will remain a dialogue between the two. Um, Mario, what we had brought the decentralization question, it really depends on what's the best solution for your needs. And, and there's obviously uh -huh. risks, but you know, knowing your risks and understanding them is better than fully trusting, um, you know, something that you may not. Well, of course, custody and self-custody versus, uh, you know, using a centralized exchange, that, that's one part of this dynamic. But um, I think a lot of people would suggest that there is uh, some reason to distrust more centralized projects overall. Uh, it is not a 2022 was not an impressive year for uh, people who are custodying a lot of uh, of consumer funds. So, I don't know. I wonder if, if that's going to be a movement in terms of investment and interest as well. It's almost the key choice you've got to make. Who can you trust? Very interesting. So, uh, any, any predictions uh, uh, going into 2023? We're still in New Year's mode. No one here will promise me $250,000 Bitcoin by the end of the year. I'm very disappointed. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know that will be that. I mean, I mean maybe it will and then I'll have I'll have Tim on and I'll just tell him he was right because he will have won this one. Um but uh you know any any predictions to to end us on on kind of a positive note here. What are we excited to see out of the the web3 space this year? We see Brock? the bottom this year. We see the bottom this year, and that's positive. And then it'll be up from there. <laughs> well, that's good. I guess that's true. There is an optimism to that. What? What, what about you, Charles? Still uh, so no Charles yet? Yeah, I'm. I'm here. So, um, look, I, I think this is going to be a year to rebuild. I hope. Hopefully, companies will focus on building, you know, product solutions, things that that, that push the industry forward. I think we are seeing the bottom this year. I don't think we're necessarily there yet. We could be, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like to generally put out predictions, but overall, I think, you know, you know, the sky's limit going forward. I don't think it happens to 250, um, you know, this year, but I think the, the, the worst is likely behind us. So I think that's a positive. So I, to me, the glass, the glass is, is half full, right? I'm excited. What, what about you, Mina? What, what, what can we look forward to? Give us some hope. Uh, I think technology. Uh, who's going to come up with the next integration with, with blockchain? And I'll have to agree. I think the worst is behind us. It could go a little bit lower um, uh, than what it is right now. But I think uh, long term, the, the future is bright. It's simply a matter of when. Mario, what's your take on it? What do you look forward to about, about 2023? It's an exciting year we're in. Nope. Not Mario. Okay. 
Brock, uh, give us, give, inspire us, man. You, you, th- this is this is what you're, you're the you're the uh, the visionary for so many years now, behind so many gigantic projects. To, uh, tether among them, of course. Um, what excites you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Makes you want to keep working toward this uh, world of digital assets? Well, I mean, right now, I, the the point was made earlier. I think that this is really the year of uh, decentralized finance, which is the big vision of what this has always been about: trustless systems that in the inherent design of the technology itself prevents the, uh, uh, the hazards that we continually find ourselves in. But the onus is on each and every one of us in making sure that we are using those products. We're using products that allow for self-custody. We're using decentralized exchanges. If we want this year to be the year of decentralized finance, it requires your participation. Remember, the future is going to happen to you or it's going to happen with you. And so we have an opportunity to co-create the future in which we wish to live, but it requires your participation. You have to go take the time to educate yourself and then educate and inform others. That's how you make it reality. Um, And so that's what I'm most excited about because the same problems we keep running into are the same ones that we're going to see again and again and again until we actually make that shift and start utilizing this technology for the reasons uh, it exists. You don't need to trust counterparties. You don't need to trust intermediaries. That is what this technology, it's what it's for. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. Okay. Well, that is great. And thank you so much, everyone. You know, Bob, you've had your hand up for a while, so I'm going to throw it over to you to see if you have a question for us. You want to round us off with a question here? I think that I granted you the ability to speak. I'm going to prove you again anyway. All right. Well, anyway, thank you, everyone, for uh, coming out today. What what a great panel. Uh, what a, a dynamic discussion. I, I really appreciate all of your insights. I hope you all come and join us again um, on Tuesday. Oh, boy. What, what, what will we be talking about on Tuesday? Maybe we'll be talking about Gemini or, uh, of course, um, ripple also came to mind uh, that that was that was another possibility but we will be coming back at you on uh tuesday at 12 p.m et and thursday next week we do great panels every week please follow everyone that's on the panel we've got an incredible lot of uh web3 knowledge up here uh, very uh people who are very wise in the ways of digital assets uh good people to follow uh it, jose you have any anything to uh close us off with what a space, eh? What a space. Amazing talks. It was a pleasure listening to y'all. And see you on Thursday. On yeah, Tuesday, I, sorry. It was great. I like to see, you know, I don't even mind when it gets a little bit it's, it's serious stuff. This is uh, this is money. I thought he was serious. Business. But um, Charles, uh, left. It's cool. We're half now over. Yeah, you broke up. I couldn't. I couldn't hear you. I apologize. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah, today. I hope you have a good time. Coming oh, yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Yeah. Bye, bye, Justin. Bye, bye, Jose. Bye, bye, everybody. Thanks, Clem. Thanks for having us. Tuesday. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon, Mina. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye.